Hello and welcome to episode number 57 of the Agro Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the podcast has been prepared for release onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast, on July 13th, 2009. Today we are joined by George Mokray, who has read and written extensively about Gandhian economics and who also blogs frequently about, about appropriate solar technology. George Mokray, welcome to the Agro Innovations Podcast. Ah, thank you for having me. Let's start by having you tell us a little bit about the cultural and historical context in which Gandhi's thinking developed. Hmm. Um, well, Gandhi, uh, of course, uh, died in uh, 1948 and uh, was born in the, the later half of the, the 19th century, uh, trained as a lawyer, and then uh, uh, worked uh, after his training in London in South Africa, where he was uh, first exposed to uh, what he considered to be rank injustice and started to organize against it uh, with nonviolence. And then uh, after his campaigns in South Africa, he returned home to India and continued to do such work. Um, he based most of his work, from what I understand, on uh, his, his daily readings of the Bhagavad Gita, um, which is uh, one of the, the main Hindu scriptures and uh, basically talks about um, the responsib responsibilities of the individual in this life and, uh, and how to proceed to the next life. Uh, he was criticized throughout his life uh, for being too idealistic. Uh, and I think that uh, he would probably say that, well, you know, why not? try for the highest ideals. He considered himself a seeker after truth and a practical man. If uh, something worked, he continued it. And if something didn't work, he changed. And uh, it's a little bit different from some of the ideas that people have of him as being such an idealist. He he really thought of himself as, as being practical, as uh you know, is trying what worked and only sticking with that. Um, his economic thought is not uh, collected in any one place. And so it's been up to other people to collect it and understand it as a system, although he probably never put it together completely as a system. The fundamental... Uh, the fundamental idea, I think, of his economics is uh, full employment, the idea of making sure that everybody has access to meaningful work and uh, a basic standard of living and uh, to move from there. So before we get too into detail about his economic thought, which is, of course, going to be the focus of this podcast, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the historical context of Gandhi's fight against British imperialism. Mm -hmm. What was that context, and how did it influence his thinking? 
Well, um, I, I'm not a real expert on his on his politics. Um, however, my my understanding of of what he was trying to do um, was to to fight an ethical fight. For him, means and ends were the same thing. So, for instance, in the First World War, he he um, stopped his agitation for freedom for India because he thought that uh, since there was a world war that the, the British were occupied with, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't fair play for him to continue his his struggle for Indian independence. Um, as a matter of fact, it was either in the Boer War or in the First World War that he, he uh, acted as a uh, uh, as medical personnel. Yeah, so um, part of what he was doing was um, agitation with an economic purpose. So, for instance, one of his his great campaigns was the Salt Campaign, where he marched what a thousand miles to uh, break the law and to make salt from seawater. And this was this was a law that the British had imposed so that they could make money coming and going with uh, goods and services from India. Previously, uh, they had, had sent ships empty to uh, to India and to take the the goods that they wanted from that country, and then eventually they said, "Well, we'll send we'll send what we can to India so that we don't have to make a make a trip without any profit." So they started sending salt, among other things, and um, they outlawed the production of local salt and. Uh, with a salt march, Gandhi said, well, we can do local production. We don't have to abide by these unjust laws. And uh, production, the production of salt, a very simple thing, uh, became a, a political act, a potent political act. Um, also, within his, his, his political framework, um, he talked about local production, what he called Swadeshi, and um, he was he was famous for uh, spinning uh, with a spinning wheel that that he helped perfect um, an hour a day, and he believed this to be uh, a time of meditation, and uh, also the heart of uh, soul force or truth force, Satyagraha, nonviolence, ahimsa, in it was part of the idea of having local production, local uh, local goods for local people, um, so that there was a certain amount of self-reliance within within the the economic system that would also help to feed into the self-reliance and the freedom, swaraj, the self-rule of uh, the political system. So for him, again, you know, no separation between means and ends, and uh, to a certain extent, no separation between uh, the individual production, productive acts, and uh, and political acts. He believed in in what some people call the propaganda of the deed. If you if you do 
something, you know, whatever it may be, um, in in the right spirit and wholeheartedly, then uh, it will carry forward, whether whether you can see the results now or later or never. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think that's the you know that's that's how I see it. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, there's a lot of terms that you threw out there that our re- our listeners may or may not be familiar with, um, and you briefly defined some of them as we went. But let's just kind of go through and formally define some of these terms that uh, Gandhi used. Some of them are probably taken from his Hindu readings, and perhaps some of them he coined himself. I'm not sure, but a lot of them he coined himself. Okay, so there's a a trinity that Gandhi envisioned to achieve a new nonviolent social order. And I believe you mentioned a couple of those, but let's start with uh, the first one, Sarvodaya. Sarvodaya, uh, my understanding of that, is um, a kind of attitude, well, uh, that, um, let me see if I can look it up actually over here. The upliftment of all. All right. It's to me. It, it's uh, I, I was. I, I've used consensus uh, decision making, where the, the idea is that everybody has to agree in the group uh, before you can before you can act, and it's it's a difficult process. And for me, sarvodaya uh, is is the idea that uh, everybody has to benefit. It's not for the benefit of the few. It's not for the benefit of the majority, but it's for the benefit of everyone, every single person. And let me see if I can find a, a really great quote here from uh, from the Mahatma himself. He said, Gandhi said, "I will give you a talisman. Whenever you are in doubt, or when the self becomes too much with you, try the file following expedient." Recall the face of the poorest and the most helpless man whom you may have seen and ask yourself whether the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to him. Will he be able to gain anything by it? Will it restore him to a control over his own life and destiny? In other words, will it lead to self-rule for the hungry and also spiritually starved millions of our countrymen? Then you will find your doubts and yourself melting away. I think that's that's a real expression of sarvodaya. Um, to start with the poorest of the poor, and make sure that uh, they have benefit. Um, that everybody is included at the table. Swaraj. Swaraj is literally self-rule, and uh, that was. Uh, that was the cry uh, for, oh God, nearly 40, 50 years of uh, his agitation against uh, the British Raj, British rule. So Swaraj instead of the British Raj. Swadeshi. Swadeshi is is literally uh, uh, self-production or local production. And again, if I look at my notes here. Swadeshi is that spirit within us which restricts us to the use and service of our immediate surroundings to the exclusion of the more remote. 
Thus, as for religion, in order to satisfy the requirements of the definition, I should serve it by purging it of its defects. In the domain of politics, I should make use of the indigenous institutions and serve them by curing them of, of their proved defects. In that of economics, I should use only those things that are produced by my immediate neighbors and serve those industries by making them efficient and complete where they might be found wanting. So it's you know what we called in the in the appropriate technologies days self reliance you know which is again you know an american idea emerson's essay and and so forth and so on um the idea that you you trade with your neighbor before you before you want to trade with somebody out of state or out of the country you try and uh, and have as much production locally so uh so you don't have to depend upon longer lifelines you know it's a, it's a logistical concern that we've gotten away uh from in in, in this globalized economy however it, it makes sense and there there are a whole variety of 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 groups for ecological and, and economic reasons now which are trying to return to to this idea of local production the whole locavore movement is is uh, an expression to my way of thinking of Gandhian economics, although uh, it's 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 not explicit, and I'm not sure that many people in that even in that movement uh, see the relationship. Talk about the Gandhian concepts of cooperative groups and trusteeship units and micro social activity against poverty. Aha, boy. Um... The focus of, of Gandhi's economic development work was the village because uh, the vast majority of people in India lived in villages in his time. They still do, although urbanization, uh, as it is all around the world, is increasing. Um, so that was that was the unit uh, of of uh, uh, creative production that that he wanted to to focus on, and. He was he was thinking in a way um, that is that is very like like the internet, the way the internet works. It was uh, scalable networks uh, with limited hierarchy. In most of the thing, most of the, the the times that he talks about it, uh, he he's talking against centralization and and towards decentralization so that from the smallest units of production an individual to a family to a small group to a village then to a region and an area and then building up to uh to towns and to cities and to states and to a country and he wanted to see power flow back and forth between the smallest groups to the largest groups and not have centralization dictate as it as it mostly does from the top down but to to have a system where uh there was always an entry level for a, a different opinion a different idea and everybody had a chance again like sarvadaya like the idea of consensus, everybody had a, a chance to to express their opinion or to add their production to to the uh, the entire uh, the entirety. 
Yeah, can you qualify just a little bit? Um, he seemed not to be a huge advocate of charity. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, well, one of the ideas that he had was uh, you have village organizations, and he and he was talking about uh, service volunteers, the idea of seva, service. And there's an organization now that deals primarily, from what I understand, with uh, preventable blindness uh, around the world called SEVA. And, and the idea was to have uh, this sort of like a, a Peace Corps or AmeriCorps of volunteers going around to different villages to help them develop uh, their economics and, and their political uh, uh, their, their political ability to become self-reliant, to, to become uh, to exercise more Swadeshi. And uh, these people in his day, it was uh, it was hygiene, cleaning villages, uh, digging latrines. Um, in, in these days, it would be some of that, but also I, I think, you know, medicine and uh, appropriate technology, possibly uh, uh, in India now, there are, are barefoot scientists, you know, uh, who go around and do appropriate technology as well. Uh, these kinds of ideas of uh, groups of people going out into the countryside, into the villages where they were needed, and it could even be in, in urbanized states, you know, going into neighborhoods in cities and helping people um, become more self-sufficient and more self-reliant. Uh, so this is the idea of save us service, and it, it's it's a gift the service is as a gift, not as a duty. Again, you know, it's the state of mind with which people enter into this. Charity is 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 something that he did not uh, he, he did not like. Uh, his idea was that if 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 God were to appear to a starving person, you know, he would he God would appear as bread. All right, and uh, he had derived from John Ruskin's book, Unto This Last, the idea of bread labor, of uh, everybody working uh, a certain portion of the day, you know, for for their daily bread, uh, keeps you honest uh, in a variety of different ways. And then also on top of that, the idea of, of seva or, or service to others. But it has to be, it has to be a gift. It has to be selfless. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's as if you were giving a gift to your to your child, and, uh, and not out of noblesse oblige, you know. Yeah, can you talk about um, Gandhi's concept of ownership in community? What is a trusteeship unit? He believes that um, everybody. Um, not only had the had the right to work, all right, to meaningful work. His goal in, in terms of his economics was full employment, and that the work of a lawyer was as worthy as the work of a farmer or anybody else. Uh, anybody who does useful work has has got the same status. Uh, now. They don't necessarily have the same pay, but to Gandhi, anything above the 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 minimum needed um, should be held in trusteeship 
for the good of the community, sarvodaya. Um, so the idea of this is something that never went really very far within his lifetime or per, perhaps ever. Um, but the idea that uh, uh, somebody who owns a factory holds it in trusteeship for the workers, the community in which that factory is, and possibly even the customers. The closest that I've seen a, a, a something like this is is the uh, the Mondragon <coughs> cooperatives in Spain, <coughs> which have been operating for uh, a number of years. Um, what since the late 1940s, and uh, one of the largest uh, industrial concerns in in Spain, and the idea of of a certain amount of trusteeship is built into that because it's cooperative. The members own it. Um, you can get something of that idea in in uh, in the concept of stakeholders, which uh, some of the people who are talking about sustainable development and sustainable economics talk about deal with. Um, who are the stakeholders? The stakeholders are uh, the, the shareholders. The stakeholders are the owners. The stakeholders are the people who work there. The stakeholders are the customers. The stakeholders are the communities. And the stakeholders might also be uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, not only the customers, but uh, the people who take care of the waste, for, for instance, of uh, of the industrial processes or the products as as uh, they leave productive life. Uh, so within the idea of sustainability, uh, you see echoes of, of again, Gandhian economics uh, so that uh, product take-back, uh, which Michael Bromgart and Bill McDonough have talked about a lot, you know, is, is an is a reflection of, of the Gandhian ideal of, of trusteeship. Um, you own it if you produce it, especially if it's toxic in, in their idea of product take-back. I think, I think Gandhi would see that as, as a kind of trusteeship, where you take responsibility for your actions and for what you produce all the way down the line. Yeah, a few things come to my mind. One is a political thinker named Walzer, who has written, and, and I've learned about this fellow many years ago, but his name stuck with me, who argues for democracy in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Another thing that comes to my mind is the factory workers in Argentina, who, right, who right. have seized the factories after they were shut down and just uh, you know started producing whatever it was that the factory produced. Right, right, right. Yes, yeah. And and, and some of those uh some of those operations are still going on in Argentina and I know that uh from my experience that there are people from all over the world who've gone to look at, at at those experiments. And as I say there there are the examples of the uh the Mondragon cooperatives. Uh there are other cooperative enterprises all around the world which have some of this um some of this social consciousness, some of this idea of sustainability, and some of this idea of, of trust, Gandhi's trusteeship built into them. Now, whether they recognize 
all of those things is another question. Uh, the thing that's very interesting to me about Gandhian economics is is how well it fits into the idea of sustainability, which is a term that I don't like, but you know, for that's that's what people have chosen to call this idea of of uh, ecological economics or this expression of ecological economics, the yeah, sustainability. And it, it's interesting to me that that very few of them, if any, have gone back and looked at, at what Gandhi has written about economics and applied it to their practice of sustainability. I think it's I think what Gandhi expressed, that idea of Swadeshi, um of Swaraj, of Sarvodaya, all of these things uh, really, really resonate within in that frame of sustainability and of ecological economics. But to my knowledge, there's there's nobody who's actually made that explicit, and uh, I, I I think that's that's too bad. Also, um, well, I'd like to think that that's what we're doing right now. Well, hopefully, hopefully that is. You know, I, 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 I don't know about you, but I don't consider myself powerful enough to actually, uh, you know, to change the course of the river. You know, maybe just one little drop someplace. But uh, it, it would be interesting. It would be interesting to see, to 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 have people pick up on that resonance because I think it's real. I, I had the privilege of of uh, meeting with uh, Representative John Lewis, who who uh, worked with Dr. Martin Luther King, and is uh, you know now in Congress. And um, I've I've heard him speak uh, a couple of times, and whenever he's asked about nonviolence and Gandhi. He says, well, we studied Gandhi, but perhaps we didn't study him enough. And I think one of the, one of the things that happened in, in the civil rights movement is they, they picked up on nonviolent action. They picked up on ahimsa, nonviolence, and satyagraha, which is soul force or, or truth force. But they didn't bring it into the economic realm. I mean, perhaps, you know, Dr. King would have gone in that direction as he was moving with the Poor People's March, but then he was assassinated. And I, I'm not enough, I haven't read enough of, of Martin Luther King to understand whether he, he really did look at Gandhian economics. But I'm fairly sure that there are very few, if any, within the, the American civil rights struggle who did look at at the economic perspective. And uh, I think that's a missed opportunity. Now, it's an opportunity that uh, we can pick up at any time we want to because the examples are there. The, the theory is there. And uh, the more that I read about Gandhian economics, the more that I, I see it as, as being very much an ecological economics and the way that we are going to have to develop our economic systems if we want to uh, survive within uh, climate change, uh, peak oil, um, <laughs> economic distress as we are now. I mean, it's happening of itself. I mean, the the locavore movement especially um points that way and it would be it would be really 
interesting to me if we made it explicit, if we made the link to Gandhi and and revivified his ideas in in this new context. Well, w- one thing I'd like to share before we move on, uh, before we continue uh, learning more about uh, Gandhian economics, well, two things I'd like to share, just uh, taking a little step back. One of the things Terence McKenna said was um, – there's a fundamental contradiction in our society, and that is that democracy and capitalism are implacable enemies. And so we have to, you know, realize and recognize that and probably make some tough choices accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I'd like to comment on is your assessment of Martin Luther King, I think, is pretty accurate. I think he was coming to that. I think he was starting to have that realization, uh, probably, which was marked by his Beyond Vietnam speech, which right. is which is probably his greatest speech. But of course, it's been sort of put in the back corner because it's not palatable to uh, the super elites, I suppose. Um, well, but I think he was coming to that and probably would have developed those ideas, or maybe looked back at Gandhi and what Gandhi had said about economics. Martin Luther, at the end of his life, Martin Luther King was uh, speaking out against the Vietnam War in particular, but he was also talking about war in general and a war economy. And he was speaking for um, for those who are for the poorest of the poor. He was uh, practicing the ideas of Sarvodaya, as far as I can see. And that cut across the racial boundaries and that that's what made him extremely extremely dangerous uh in this country to to the power structure because we have uh, an economy that is is uh you know very much based upon on uh, upon the idea of warfare what we uh we spend about 40% of the world's budget on armaments ourselves you know, we outweigh, you know, most of the other economies that uh, and countries that are spending on warfare. You know, we we're number one by a, a wide, 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 wide margin, and that's a large part of our economy. You know, what does that mean? Is that is that at all productive of anything? And when Martin Luther King begins to speak out against that kind of stuff and begins to talk not only about the rights of, of of black people, but the rights of poor people, which cuts across the racial lines, he becomes very, very dangerous. Now, whether he would have gone back and looked at uh, looked at his, his studies of Gandhi within an economic context, I, I, I would venture to say probably he would have, and I think it would have made a great deal of difference. Um, you know, and uh, again, it's a mischance. Now, whether any of his disciples who are still alive will do the same thing, will follow his, will follow his lead, uh, I don't think that they've that they've done it all that well so far, and I'm not sure that they will will make the the, the leap to uh, to look back at Gandhi and to and to see Martin Luther King. Uh, Mohandas K. Gandhi and ecological economics, the situation that we have now, 
within within uh, a similar context, which for me is 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 blatant. It's right there. Um, one thing that I would suggest our listeners do, if you have not heard the Beyond Vietnam speech, you can go to YouTube and just type that in, and that'll come right up, and you can watch that, or you can probably type Beyond Vietnam MP3 and get that in MP3 format as well. And also, um, there's a great interview on TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness Radio, with someone, I can't remember the fellow's name, who probably did the most extensive research on uh, the Martin Luther King assassination, who assassinated him and why. And you can find that on the TUC Radio website, so you can type that into Google as well. That is the end of part one of my interview with George Mokray on Gandhian economics. Next week, part two of the interview uh, will be published. And that will be next Monday, so keep your eyes and ears out for that. This is a topic that I think is very important and something I think that we really need to be talking about and thinking about in our communities and on the web and wherever else. So if you enjoyed this interview, then please come back for part two. And also, please tell friends, families, and co- friends, family, and colleagues about this interview. This and all episodes of the Agronovations podcast are released under a Creative Commons attribution share-alike license. You can learn more about that at creativecommons.org. And hopefully there will be more discussion about this on the Global Swadeshi Network. I will post a thread uh, for this episode of the podcast on the Global Swadeshi Network. And if that thread gets active, and hopefully it will, I will probably leave that uh, same thread for next week's podcast. But I'll have more about that next week. This is the agroinnovations.com podcast. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, saludos.